please join me in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would indeed give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. Having eyes of your heart, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what it is, the hope to which we've been called, and the glorious inheritance of the saints, which is ours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, who can tell me what day we're celebrating today? Hopefully you got it by the hymns and the collect. It's pretty blatant. What is it? Ascension. <laughs> Thank you. Ascension Day. And Ascension Day, I always tell everybody each year, is kind of the redheaded stepchild of the church calendar and feast days. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, Ascension Day is as important as Christmas Day, as, import, as important as Easter. In fact, it's one of those feasts where we celebrate a line of the Nicene and Apostles' Creed, right? He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we ought not to overlook Ascension Day um, because we share with the disciples in a little bit how they're waiting on Ascension Day. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more today. So Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7 to the apostles, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so in this part of salvation history, for the disciples, they're awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is an important distinction because the disciples are awaiting Pentecost to come next week, right? We all know that one. We, however, as the church, are not awaiting Pentecost. We're only remembering that awaiting Pentecost and, and the Holy Spirit's coming, right? Because we have the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to talk about three things. The fact that for the last some 2,000 years, we as Christians, like the disciples, are in this place in salvation history called the already but not yet. You've probably heard this before, right? I'm sure that Gene has talked to you about this. We're in the already but the not yet. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. But I'm going to add something to that this morning. The come along come along. So the already, but not yet, and come along. Now, I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter who's going to be three in July named Bridget, and oftentimes I'll take her down the block to a playground. Uh, there's a school playground about a block away from our house. And Bridget knows this. It's one of her favorite places. Take me to the one with the, the blue slide, she says. Okay. So we get on the sidewalk, and we start walking around, and very often, she'll get distracted. She'll pick a flower here, or pick up a stone over there, or see a cat, or a squirrel, or right? And, and, and we're on the sidewalk, but she's constantly stopping, taking things in, and I have to turn back to her and go, 
Bridget, come along, come along. Now she knows where she's going, and yet she still is diverted. And in a lot of ways, you and I are like that two-and-a-half-year-old in our walk with Jesus. We know what he's done. We know the already. We know where he's gone. We know where the story ends. And yet, we constantly get distracted and need God to say, come along, Sean. Come along. Don't be distracted. That's where we are. Let's talk about the already. We'll start there. What is the already? Well, the already, of course, begins with the incarnation, that other feast that I mentioned, Christmas. The fact that the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, chose to come to earth and dwell among us. That is fact, right? That is fact. And it continues through his teachings, through his trials, through his agony, through his passion, right? We just went through Lent and Easter, through his resurrection. And this is one reason that before, just before he died, our Lord Jesus Christ, before giving up the ghost or giving up his spirit in John's gospel, says this line. Do you know what it is? What does he say? He's on the cross. He's about to die. He says, in John's gospel, he says, it is finished. It is finished. What's finished? Tetelestai is the Greek and is the word in Greek. It means to bring to a close. It means to fully fulfill. It means to complete a command or an order given to him. Jesus' mission for redemption is fully finished upon the cross. That is the ultimate already, right? It's already done. And of course, by that sacrifice, we are able to approach God the Father. And look what Jesus says. I had these printed out because uh, this is one of those days where we're flipping between Acts and, and Luke predominantly. And we're even going to look at Psalm 110 a little bit. It's just easier. So you could, you're welcome to open up into your Bibles if you want. But look with me first at the gospel passage, which is on the inside here on page 3 or on the back of your bulletin. Look at chapter 24, verse 44, the first verse. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Notice what Jesus says here. When talking about the gospel, when giving them a commission, in Matthew's gospel it's called the Great Commission, we see here Jesus telling them very definitively what the gospel is. What does he say? These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, what? Must be fulfilled. Must be fulfilled. Yeah. From the law of Moses, the prophets, 
and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This must have been one heck of a Bible study, right? Jesus gives them an insight into every place in the Old Testament that shows him. And in the, in the first part of the Old Testament, the law, right, that Pentateuch, in the prophets, that, that second part of the Old Testament, and the Psalms themselves, the Psalms themselves. Notice, he says, you are witnesses to these things. So this is part of the already. Jesus has completed his mission. He's completed the plan. But look what he says next here. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So what are these things? These things that Jesus has done, but also your witnesses, he tells them, of the efficaciousness, the, 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 the things that what he has already done has, has done on a theological, metaphysical level. What do I mean by that? That there is actual law that has been changed in the universe by Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you believe that? I hope so. And notice, we often get mission creep when we talk about the gospel. You know what mission creep is? It's where, like, the gospel starts becoming other things, right? You set a mission, but then things move off target. Notice what Jesus says the gospel is here. It's simply what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection and what? I know I'm driving this home, but it's important. What's our response to it? Repentance. Repentance. And proclamation of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Somebody said it. I'm not sure who. Forgiveness. So it's by Jesus that we proclaim repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. That is the main core of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done, repentance and forgiveness can be had by any person. By any person. That's a really important point. It's something the church seems to forget from time to time. Right? It's something that we seem to forget from time to time, if we're honest. But did you know that repentance is actually a gift? Do you know that repentance, to be able to turn around, to be able to change the trajectory of your life is actually a gift? Think about that for a minute. How many people don't change their lives? How many people are sailing down the road to hell? And how, <laughs> yeah, they are now, <laughs> maybe. Although I think that enjoyment is short, <laughs> even in this life. Yeah. Um, you know, all of us would be sailing down that road too if not for what Jesus had already done for us. And forgiveness of sins, well, that's a little bit more acceptable to most people, right? People like to be forgiven. But how many of us like to forgive? That's another story. That's another sermon. What Jesus has done here gives us the gift of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and that is what we're to proclaim. That is what we're to proclaim. That is what the disciples are witnesses to. The already that changes everything. And notice, 
How is it that St. Luke begins the book of Acts in our first reading? How does he begin? Look at the first paragraph, Acts 1, 1 through 3. What's he doing? He's obeying Jesus. He's giving a witness as to what it is that Jesus did and what it is that he sees. Look, read with me. In the book, O Theophilus, O Theophilus, by the way, in Greek means God lover or lover of God, right? Might be a real person, might not, we're not sure. I've dealt with all these things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So here we are liturgically coming to the end of those Easter 40 days, right? That's why we're at Ascension Day here right now. And St. Luke is being obedient, giving witness as he starts the book of Acts to what Jesus said and did. You know, there's also something really interesting here, and that is that I'm not sure when it's appointed in the lectionary, but in the very next chapter in the book of Acts, St. Peter, in his famous first sermon, gives a witness to Jesus and gives us insight into that teaching in Luke 24 that Jesus gave the apostles on fulfilling the psalm. So if you have your Bibles, you can look at it with me. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 32. It's not anywhere in the bulletins. But just listen if you don't have your Bibles. Then this Jesus, says St. Peter to the crowd on Pentecost, uh, Jesus, God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are hearing and seeing. That for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Does that sound familiar? It should. It was the psalm that we read together. So what is St. Peter doing here? He's giving the crowds this insight that Jesus has shared with him, that Jesus, not King David, is actually what Psalm 110 there is talking about. Because Jesus has ascended and been seated at the right hand of the Father. The Lord said to my Lord. Now this is something going on in the Trinity. Sit at my right hand. Jesus ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. Until I make the enemies your footstool. Again, these are all part of the already. The already, the things that God has done. So let's move to the not yet. Because the not yet is part of today's text as well. And as I said earlier, it's a little bit tricky. And it's a little bit different from us, for us than it was for the disciples at least here in Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24. You see, as a matter of timeline, both St. Luke's accounts in Acts and in the Gospel precede the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell the disciples. They have not yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit and clothed with power from on high. But in contrast, you and I 
who have been baptized, have the Holy Spirit, and have been clothed with power from on high. St. Paul writes this in his epistle to the church in Galatia. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, where he says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So the apostles are still waiting for that at the ascension that's going to come at Pentecost. But we have this, right? So we're no longer waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. We have the Holy Spirit. So that being said, there's still a part of the not yet that we experience with the apostles. Might be obvious, but let's underline it. What is it? What are the apostles waiting for, even after Pentecost? What are we waiting for? The glorious return of Jesus, right. The glorious return of Jesus. That is the not yet. It's the ultimate not yet that sets the trajectory of our lives, too. Yes, the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit at this point, but they're also looking for the coming of the kingdom. You see, the disciples didn't understand God's timeline, right? The disciples thought at the time of the ascension in Acts chapter 1 that this was the time for the kingdom of Israel to be restored. Now, Lord, you've finished everything that you've come to do. When are you going to restore the kingdom? Look at, look at Acts. Don't take my word for it. Verse 6, chapter 1. So when they had come together, this is before Jesus ascends, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives an interesting answer because he says, it's not for you to know when the, Son of Man, when the Son of Man is returning, right? We don't know that. I always laugh when you, you, know, you see these, uh, these supposed prophets and people on TV that say, you know, the end of the world is coming, you know, January 7th, 2009, right? Yeah, but, the minute that you try to put a date on it, you're contradicting scripture. I mean, Jesus himself isn't giving the apostles that answer. So, you know, just quit it. <laughs> quit it. It's not for us to know. But what is for us to know? That he will. That that not yet will happen. It will happen one day. We don't know when. And that we should pray for it. Remember, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, one of the petitions he gives to them is... Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's something that one day will happen when Jesus returns. Now, hopefully it's happening in us as members of that kingdom, right? That's also part of the prayer. That's another sermon too. One day that not yet will happen. We also say it every week, maybe even every day if you do the daily office readings in the prayer book. You're saying the Apostles' Creed, Right? I believe that he ascended into heaven. 
that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, that he'll come to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. This is the not yet that we are proclaiming along with the already. Does that make sense? The already has happened. This is the not yet that we are proclaiming. And so today's reading tells us that we do not proclaim that in vain. As the disciples are gazing into heaven, as Jesus has ascended and has blessed them, look at again at the end of the Acts reading. We see two men. We think they're angels because of their description, right? The word man is used loosely here. Verse 10, And when they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now those are some powerful words of assurance, aren't they? From the mouth of angels, that the Lord Jesus is going to descend bodily as he went. One of the things that I tell people is that Jesus, when he ascends into heaven, we believe as Christians that he ascends changed. He ascends bearing the marks of the crucifixion. Those, those nail marks in his hands and his feet, the, the pierced side, it's that Jesus that ascends bodily to the right hand of the Father. How that happens, we don't know. But Jesus, completing his mission, will come again bodily to judge the living and the dead. That's an important point as we consider the ascension. It's an important thing for Christians to always consider. For as I said, it gives us the trajectory for our lives. This isn't just history that we believe. This is present and future. You see, they're looking for that coming. And boy, friends, you and I should look to that coming too. We should look to that coming too, not just as something in our heads, but as something to comfort our hearts. I mean, whenever I hear about wicked acts, and we've heard a lot about that lately, haven't we? The slaughter of the unborn, the slaughter of the innocent in Ukraine, crime, murder in the news, the brutal massacre of children this past week, 19 children and two teachers in Texas, that shooting in Buffalo, a few weeks ago? Was it even a few weeks ago? What's the proper response to that? Lord, thy kingdom come. Lord, thy kingdom come. Because this world ain't going to bring that peace that the Lord brings. And the disciples are asking, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they are asking is if God is going to make his right rule present now. And Jesus says, no, not yet. He doesn't quite say that. But what does he say? He says, you are witnesses that this will happen. So proclaim that. And if the things on the news don't get to your heart, what about your own personal struggles? Those personal pains that you deal with in your own lives? Loved ones who are taken too soon at any age? The helplessness of disease as, as it debilitates a spouse or a loved one? Friends, we should never grow hard or callous to such things. 
it's easy to grow hard and callous to the tragedies and the crimes of this world. But rather, we should respond by saying, Lord, come, joining St. Paul, who at the end of the first epistle to the Corinthians says, Come, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. The call of the saints from around the throne in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, who are around the throne of the Lord, witnessing things going on in the earth and crying out to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? We cry out for this kingdom, this justice and this peace that is absent from this world. As Christians, we righteously cry out and point to the fact that one day all things will be made right when we pray, thy kingdom come. And when we say, I believe that he shall come to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That is the not yet that we are to proclaim. That's what separates us from the world, that we have hope in another world, that God will restore this world because Jesus will come. And today's reading is to give us that clear assurance that Jesus is going to return. That verse, verse 11 in Acts, at the end of Acts, when the angels themselves tell us this, is to assure us that Jesus has not left us forever. He's not abandoned us. In John's Gospel, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. The disciples don't know, but we know that it's taken at least 2,000 years. When will the Lord come back? We don't know, but we know he will. So finally, turning to the third point of the sermon, come along. Come along. The angels who stand by the disciples and acts ask, why are you looking at heaven? Seems like a silly question. We just saw the Son of God bodily ascend, right? I mean, these are things that happen every day, right? We don't see people, oh, there he goes. <laughs> And yet, I think the angels are pointing out to the disciples that while it's okay to look at heaven, they have work to do once, the, once they're equipped with the Holy Spirit. You see, after understanding the already or the not yet, we move on to that. Are you coming along? Come along. In Matthew's Gospel, the Lord Jesus, before he ascends, commissions the apostles to make disciples of all nations, to baptize and to teach. And there is indeed much work to be done. So here in Luke's gospel, their reaction is to the ascension is a type of work that they do. What is it? We don't often think about it this way. We, we use a word to describe our worship as Anglicans. We call this what we're doing today, the liturgy, the liturgy. It comes from the Greek liturgy. I, think, I can't remember the exact Greek, but I didn't look this up. I'm going off cuff here, being distracted. Anyway, <laughs> the liturgy literally means the work of the people, the work of the people. Did you know that your work 
is part of your worship, and your worship should be part of your work. Right? And what did the disciples do in Luke's gospel right after Jesus ascends? Did you miss it? Verse 52, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What's the first step to coming along? Before Bible study, before doing works of service, believing in him and, because like belief is one of those weird words, we're in, trusting in him, right? Loving him, worshiping him. Right? Why is it, I mean, all those things describe worship. Why is it the disciples go from the ascension to worshiping God in great joy? Because of what he has done and what he will done, will do. Right? And so the first step to being a Christian is to worship Jesus. And it's not just for new believers. It's for us too. Worshiping Jesus is stop number one in a pattern for life for Christians. Before study, before service, before anything else, worship. Bishop J.C. Ryle of Liverpool, 19th century bishop in the Anglican Communion, writes this in his commentary on Luke 24. He says, he that desires to read his Bible with profit must first ask the Lord Jesus to open his understanding by the Holy Ghost. A humble and prayerful spirit will find a thousand things in the Bible which the proud, self-conceited student will utterly fail to discern. I'll read the last part for you again. A humble and prayerful spirit will find a thousand things in the Bible which the proud, self-conceited student will utterly fail to discern. It is worship that opens our minds and our hearts to love Jesus. It is worship that opens our minds and our hearts to know Jesus. Remember this, friends. If ever you doubt the importance of gathering together on Sundays to partake of the word or to partake of the sacrament, because both are part of worship, remember that this is a powerful thing that we do. And it makes perfect sense. How the heck are you going to be witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom if you don't know and love him? You can read the Bible. We all know lots of people that, that know the Bible well or, or, or know good doctrine well, but are very poor witnesses to who Jesus is, right? It's not knowledge alone. It's a knowing Jesus on a personal level. It's a following Jesus on a personal level. It's a walking with Jesus in worship every day of your life. Not just on Sundays, but every day of your life. It's only those people who can give a good witness to who he is. Because without that, what are you going to share? You know, when we talk about evangelism, oftentimes we as Anglicans get scared. Evangelism, boy, that's a tricky word. Do I, do I know the right verses? Do I know the, the four spiritual laws? Do I know the Romans 8 road? Do I know it well enough? All that stuff's good. You know, something that's much more fundamental than that is knowing the core of the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and knowing 
that you must repent and be forgiven and believe to enter the kingdom of God. That's it. And then explaining what that is in your life, what that looks like in your life. Think about that for a minute. What, what difference does the already but not yet make in your life? Is it just some religious category that, you know, some guy in robes up here talks about once a week and then I go on and do the rest of my business? I hope not. I hope not. Come along. Look what we prayed in our collect of the day today. Again, it's in your order of service or at the very top under the gold part of the insert. Look at the, it's a very short collect, but a powerful one, right? First, it states what we're celebrating. That our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, look at the petition. May our hearts and minds there also ascend. What are we asking? Send where? Where are our hearts and minds? Where are we asking? Heaven. May our hearts and minds ultimately there ascend into heaven. And look at the second part. And with him continually dwell. Who's the him? Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> look what we're asking for. Look what we're asking for, that we might worship Jesus with our hearts and minds ascended into heaven with him and dwelling with him in his presence. Look what St. Paul says in the epistle reading, what we started the sermon off with. He asks, may the church have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him that is Jesus, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places May our hearts and minds ascend, not just on Sundays, but every day in worship. St. Augustine, the great 4th century theologian and preacher, puts it this way when preaching on this subject. He said, in a sense, we are already in heaven with him, if we're Christians, even though what is promised us has not yet been fulfilled in our bodies. Isn't that a powerful sta statement? In a sense, we're already with him in heaven, even though what is promised to us has not yet been fulfilled in our bodies. What a different way to look at life, that this life is fleeting. You know, oftentimes we're preoccupied. We're, we're going here and there, being distracted, like the child, picking a flower here, a pebble there, being obsessed with something. And oftentimes those things are, are good or bad, but are we keeping our eyes fixed on the eternal reality to which we've been called? You see, in actuality, this world passes away so quickly. The older you get, the more that becomes apparent. And our call right now is to keep our eye on the prize, but to also be witnesses so that others can come along. You and I have not seen Jesus in the flesh because he's ascended. 
but in worship we hear the, his voice in Scripture. We see him at work in the rest of the congregation. We receive him spiritually and truly in the sacraments. We are cleansed by his body and blood and united to him in a very real way that a non-Christian can't even understand. That's what we're sharing. That's what we're sharing. Can you describe your faith? Can you describe your walk? The victory of Christ already is. The world that we live in here is not yet, but one day will be. And we're called to be a witness to others to come along. So friends, come along. Come along. And invite those around you to come along. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.